Hello everybody and welcome to issue 3 of the Fingerpost podcast. Uh, this issue is looking at arts and community relations and has been guest edited by Elaine Ford from the Playhouse. Elaine, great to have you along today. Um, God, George, thank you firstly for selecting me and inviting me to um, be the guest editor of this edition. And you know, it was a really, really lovely opportunity. I, I think it's um, a really rare occasion where you get to sit back and think, God, who do, what do I want to talk about and who do I want to involve in this conversation? So I, I thought about um, some things, some areas of my work that are really interesting. And I invited people that I've worked with over the past few years. So I hope it. I hope it lives up to the two previous editions of Finger Post. Right on, I'm sure it does for sure. Um, it already is brilliant. I loved it. I loved all of the contributions. So you have managed to get a, a great range of responses to it. Um, what issues are covered in this issue, which is now live on FingerPost.ie for anybody who wants to go and have a look at it. Yeah, and it looks great. So thank you. Um, so I think the main thing I wanted to look at was how we work as artists and arts organizations, how we work with the community. Um, and many people will have heard of community arts, applied applied theater, um, socially engaged art. So I wanted to kind of probably do away with all of those titles and just um, invite people who I've worked with over the past couple of years or the past few years to really give us an insight about their work and their journey, their vision, their practice and what challenges they come up with. So I was really broad brush. I just asked people to, to interpret it in whatever way they felt right. So as you can see, I've got a, a range of brilliant, brilliant speakers and people who are writers, people who have really looked up to over the past few years. So, so thank you. Brilliant. So we're going to hear from some of the people today. Um, who is it that it's going to be joining us for a chat or joining you for a chat? Because I'm going to slip off until the end here. Who Perfect. Who are so I've invited three people. Um, the first is Damien Gorman, who's a poet and playwright and who's worked with me over the past year. Um, Felicity McCall, who was in a production that I produced last year called First Response and Felicity was one of the participants. And last, um, John Johnson, who is head of um, an international master's artist educator at University of the Arts in the Netherlands. Brilliant. So let's get Damien into the panel. And, and you can have a chat and then I will slip off. Thank you. Thank you, George. See you at the end. Good luck with Perfect. Damien, oh, it's so lovely to see you. Um, listen, thank, thank you so much for your contribution. Um, it's, it was powerful to read and it made me laugh and it made me think as well. So all of the, all of the things that I wanted it to do. So thank you. Um, Damien, I guess I wanted just to start off by saying I've had the, the very the privilege of working with you over over the last sort of 18 months um you created a production called anything can happen for the playhouse through our theater and peace building academy and I'd love to kind of start there um we commissioned you to write a production about the worst year of the troubles 1972 how did you start that can you share a little bit about your approach and your starting point to that um, well, my, my starting point was nerves, you know, uh, that was the starting point because although I, I have done, you know, I've worked with people hurt in the troubles before, um, I thought there's a lot, there's a lot, there's a wild lot at stake here and it goes way beyond uh, my own, if you like, my own sense of myself as, as a creative. Uh, I knew, I knew that way beyond that. So, um, 
you know, the way you had it organized, there was a first period of a month or three weeks or something, where, which was called scoping. So I, I said to myself, I just need to use that time to work out how to position myself morally, how, how to be with people, um, how to be there for people in some way. And, and one of the questions I carried in the approach was, uh, what's in this for people? Because you couldn't pay people to do, you know, to, to bear their souls and to put their hearts on the line, which is, which is clearly what, what they did, the people I work with and the people that Alien worked with. You know, they put their hearts on the line. Now, you can't pay people to do that. So there needs to be something in it for them. And, I, and I, that, was, that was a big part of the early approach to try and work out what might be in it for anyone who would go on this um, journey with me. Thank you. Um, and I was very much part of that journey and saw, saw and heard your thinking. So and you, you, you've been a great example about patience, because just so that anybody listening to this knows you were the 17th person that Jared asked to edit this edition. And you <laughs> waited and waited and waited. And, you know, it was <laughs> so I take great, great example. He told me there were 700 and I was bottom of the list. <laughs> so listen. And thank you for your contribution for Finger Post. Um, so in it, and I mentioned earlier to Jared, it just it made it made me laugh. But um, you mentioned three things that we should bear in mind when working with with people on their stories of hurt. Do you want to yeah. just talk me through those three things? And I guess I'm interested in how did you arrive at those three things? Because obviously there's a lot of wisdom in what you say and in what you share. And like just when I was reading it, I was just so humbled by everything you said. So. Well, tell me about tell me about that. Well, okay. Well, very very quickly, I um, I didn't want to be getting in a pulpit, you know, because uh, you know, I, I as I said in the article, it was as if I was talking to myself, you know, when I was beginning this work, so so I could be free to be quite quite sharp. So the, I mean, the three things they just I didn't want to be going on and on and on. So I just thought I'll limit it to three. So the first thing was uh, as you know saving saving anybody's blushes the first thing that i put was don't be a dick don't be a dick and what i meant by that very briefly is is this um you know and when you make an art work for you know it sounds very grand but when you make an art work certainly in my case when i make a poem in some sense i'm at the center of it because i'm trying to make the words and i'm trying to make music in words and i'm trying to do all that in something like um you know, working with the theatre piece built in Academy on a theatre of witness piece. I don't think you, I think you'd be a dick if you think you're at the centre of it. You're at the side of it. You're guiding. Now you have a real role, you know, you have, you, it's up to you, um, although it's verbatim largely, although not completely in my case, but um, so, you know, there are, there are things for you to do, like rhythm, for example. You're not going to say to people who are trying to, carry their own story into the company of strangers, you're not going to say, no, worry about the rhythm of it as well. That's, that's, that's for you to do. So there are things for you to do, but at the same time, you're not at the centre. You're at the side, you're guiding. And the other thing that I, I think um, would make a dick of you is if, if you were to approach people with, in, in our case, stories of hurt and the troubles and say, even into yourself, say, you've got something I need. Mm -hmm. 
And if that was to be your approach, you've got something inside you that I need. So I need to, it's kind of breaking and entering that approach. And that would, that would, that's what I would mean by being a dick. So that was the first thing. The second thing very quickly is I've called it building the ground, which just means when you begin the work, as we say, you've nothing to go, you've nothing out of which you can ask people to do anything. There's no relationship. So, and you're not a primary school teacher, you know, who is saying, who is clapping your hands and saying, now people, let's focus. You're not that. You need to build up ground with people to collaborate on the building up of ground out of which you can do anything. So I go on about that a wee bit. And the third one uh, I've called at the same time, which just means, right, I've been given out about these two things very sharply as if I was talking to myself. But at the same time, you're a human being. And as long as... As long as you've orientated yourself right, as long as morally you've positioned yourself reasonably, and as long as if there were a casting vote situation, if you like, that would go to the person whose stories are being contributed or the people, as long as they would have the casting vote in any situation like that, you're all right. You're okay. You don't need to beat yourself up, you know. So those were the three things that I decided to focus on. Yeah, no, and it was a brilliant piece and thank you. Um, I guess I just want to think a little bit about um, in this work, as you and I both know, um, we are, and as, you know, during anything can happen. In a way, you're carrying a huge weight. You're carry, you're working with six people who are coming to that to that space with um, exper complex experience of of the Northern Ireland Troubles. How do you look after and care for yourself in that during that past year? Well, I think the, for, the first thing to say is you're not, it, there is weight, you know, in your terms, you're not carrying it on your own. You're not carrying it on your own. I mean, I, you know, have some very dear people who are carrying things now on their own, like, like, like grief, you know, but, but this thing you, you, you manifestly don't carry on your own. So as long as you're clear that there's people like yourself and, and Kieran and, you know, other people that I would go to. Uh, so that's one thing. Um, I think I think that the business about orientating yourself at the very start is important because then you won't have to get at yourself for for doing something wrong or out of the wrong motives or something like that. And the other thing with me is we cups of tea and scones. I mean, there's a poem about uh, somebody who measures out their life in coffee spoons. I measure out my life in we cups of tea and scones. And thankfully for most of the time that we were working on anything can happen, I was able to do that, you know, and be able to go out with, with Victor and Hazel and everybody else and have we, and on my own, you know, your question was about looking after myself. I could go on my own and have a wee, a wee uh, cup of tea and a scone. That was important as well. Well, I'm about to um, interview Felicity McCall, who was in First Response. And I think she would agree in terms of that, that both the self-care as an individual, but also the collective, you know, with the group of first responders. Damien, as ever, it's been a privilege talking to you. So thank you, but it has been. It's always enlightening. Okay, I'll say something else. Yeah. No, <laughs> thank you. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you. Thank you. Hi, Felicity. Hi, Elaine. It's a pleasure talking to you. Hello, how are you? So 
Listen, this time last year, we were about to open a production I had produced, devised and directed by Eileen Conant, um, with 11 first responders and eight students from Ulster University, of which you were one of the 11 first responders. So I was just thinking about that this morning. We were just about to go into production week. So I'd love to find out from you um, just about your experience of participating and coming to first response. How did you get there? How did you arrive in that space? I got there almost by accident because I'd read about it and I thought, what a marvellous idea this would be. And I was chatting to a then director of the Playhouse and said, this is a brilliant initiative. I must find out when that's on and make sure to get tickets. And that was my first reality check because he said, have you ever thought that you were a first responder? And I thought, not really. And he says, well, in your 20s, you were out working for the BBC as a frontline reporter during some of the worst years of the Troubles. So you were very much a first responder. So why don't you volunteer to take part? And at that stage, the process was already a wee bit underway, but I got in touch with yourself and with Eileen and very kindly was allowed to come in. And I was delighted to find really a group of contemporaries, people that whose lives I would probably have touched at that time without knowing it. And to find that suddenly coming together now in our older years, sort of 40 years on, that we were able to share share an entirely new perspective on the circumstances of 40 years ago. Thank you. Um, Felicity, just when you talk about your experience there and in the piece that you wrote for Fingerpost, and thank you so much for doing it, which is called First Response Revisited. First Response Revisited, you talked about moments of magic. And, and I love that because again, similar to Damien, I was very much involved in that experience. Um, and I'd love you just to talk about those moments of magic, because I think those moments of magic, which you really clearly clearly articulated, are the piece, are the points that make our work worthwhile and ripple beyond. Because obviously the work that we do with all of the, the, the first responders or the, the participants that we work with directly is so impactful and so brilliant. And then when we can see that begin to ripple out into other groups of people, that's when, when more magic happens. So I'd love, I'd love you to talk, talk about the magic. I think for me, the first magic happened whenever we were introduced to our young drama students who were taking part in it. Because one of my reservations all along had been that maybe I don't want to be doing this. Maybe there's been too much of people indulging themselves, telling their war stories, for want of a better word. Things that might have become apocryphal with time. They might have become confused. They might have become personalised. They might have become out of context. And do I really want to be doing this? It's not about me. So to me, the magic happened when, along with us, with the team of first responders, we were suddenly introduced to and actively working with a group of young drama students whose average age was was about 20 and who came from different parts of the country, but every one of whom had been impacted by the conflict in a different way to us, but to a very great degree. Perhaps their, their parents had lived through it. They hadn't talked about it. They had anger at the legacy that had been left. They wanted to draw attention to the problems that we had. They were telling us, it's not all about you. This is the mess you left us. You did not live normal lives. Come and talk about that. And to me, that was the magic because they made us look at stories we had told over and over again with completely young eyes and fresh eyes 
journeys and they were so challenging. They really made us think about how we had lived life. And while we had always been, I suppose all of us had been trotting out the commonplaces about this must never happen again. We must never go back into conflict again. They made us think why it had happened and how we could stop it happening again. And they were, they were just such a breath of fresh air. They were so welcoming. They were so empathetic, but they were also so challenging. And they really made us think about that legacy we're leaving. The metaphor we used in first responders was boxes. All the, all the problems, all the issues, all the trauma that we have put away in boxes and what we do with those boxes. And I mean, I said in the play, and I mean it to this day, if we don't deal with those boxes now, we are burying them under the feet of that generation and they will out. Drama has to work its way through a society. So the magic to me was that they gave us a huge challenge to get on with us, to tell our stories, yes, but to deal with the legacy and start to move on. I think one of the one of the um, points that really became clear during first response and the the, the student and um, participation was um, the trauma that young people feel they're facing now in terms of their lived experience, which we didn't really touch on. We began to touch on it through the production, but then our, our time was running out. Um, I wanted to to just to ask you to think about. We, you just talked about the legacy of the conflict. To just to kind of focus really in on first response, what do you say would be, or what would you hope would be the legacy of first response? I hope or the legacy would be, we saw it, the second bit of magic was every time we took it out to an audience, and we had very disparate audiences that came from a huge variety of backgrounds, but that we were able to reach out in that way, and the audiences got it, they got what we were trying to say, this wasn't just another another dialogue about the past, that we were looking forward, we were challenging, we were trying to find solutions, we were trying to find a way to work with young people to help this legacy of trauma work through society. And I think, I hope that's what we would do. We'd make people question the past. We'd make, we'd encourage people to think about the future, to talk to younger people, to look at their issues, to maybe see how we can work through it and finally start to lay the ghosts of those of 40 years ago and work through to a better future and not just give lip service to it, but actually do the work yeah. and try to create a better world for the next generations. Yeah, powerful. Felicity, you are a journalist, as you mentioned, you are a playwright. So usually you are at the other end. So in this, in this instance with First Response, you were a participant in a project. How was that? Did you, would you do it again? Absolutely. It was very powerful. It was very empowering. We built up amazing bonds, I think, amongst a small group of people who didn't know each other beforehand. Yet within weeks, there was that level of trust and intimacy, I think, thanks to the superb facilitation and organisation. But we were sharing soul deep secrets that normally perhaps the only people who would know were your nearest and dearest or your very best friends there was that level of bonding that we had all been in this together and we were all trying to find a solution together 
Um, you often hear after production, everybody has the post-production rap party and we all vow to stay in touch and do it all over again and things like that. And really, it's a nice intention, but you know it won't happen. But I think this is different. I think with first responders, you've created a body of people that is not going to go away. We're on a mission. We're all following in our own way. And to me, of course, I would do it again because I haven't stopped doing it for now. I think it's for life. Felicity, thank you. Thank you so much. It's, it, your piece was brilliant and thank you for participating in it and thank you for participating in First Response. Um, thank you for it's been today. a pleasure throughout, Elaine. It's been a pleasure and a privilege. Thank you. Um, our very next and last uh, speaker is John Johnson, who is head of EMA, International Masters Artist Educator, um, based in the Netherlands. John, thank you for contributing to Fingerpost. Um, mm -hmm. Your piece was, of course, insightful. And of course, I learned in, in the reading of it. The first thing I want to ask you is about, um, you used the term issues-based arts education. Can mm -hmm. you film me? Can you, like, obviously, I've just, I read your piece, but tell us about that. First of all, Liam, thanks very much for inviting me to, to write a piece. It's, it's always lovely to, to share ideas on education and particularly in arts education and this specific type of education, actually, issues-based work um, with any audience, but to share it with, 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 my, uh, with the people back home in, in Ireland is, is, is particularly important, I think. So what is issues-based? Uh, I mean, I, I, in, in the article, I wrote how I found it. I mean, I, I, I studied to be a teacher seems like a thousand years ago at Goldsmiths College here in London. And um, I'm actually speaking to you from London. I'm not in Holland at the moment, but the, the, um, I really went to Goldsmiths at the time of the Damien Hirst era. All these really famous artists were, were hanging out around New Cross and, and I thought I could tap into that. I didn't really want to be a teacher. It was my way of getting around that culture. Um, when I arrived at Goldsmiths, uh, the teachers there, the tutors there, seen something in me, which was quite political in my work, which well, was obvious, you could see it. Um, my work was always trying to reach audiences, trying to engage audiences, and particularly in the issues that I grew up around in Belfast. But um, they seen that and, and they decided that there was a school made for me in, in Southeast London called Crofton. And that Crofton, that, that, that art department in Crofton was dealing and working with issues-based arts education. Um, issues-based arts education is what it says on the tin. It's about issues. And it, it basically moves the whole attraction in arts education away from the object and away from the skill, which art education has been fascinated with for many, many hundreds of years, but certainly in terms of public education since the last 120 or 30 years, fascinated with the idea that the, the art is a skill and a craft and something which must and can be taught. And it moved it away from that fascination of the object to a more greater fascination with the subject. And in, 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 in the case of issues-based artwork is the subject is the student or the child or the, or the pupil or the community, as I'm hearing uh, with, with your previous participants, um, th this, this changes the, the whole emphasis of art, actually, away from a, this fascination that we, we, we have these superhumans who can only do it, um, who have given this God-given talent to the fact that what Joseph Boyce says, that we, we all have this, we all have this within us. And so issues-based arts education is about taking a point of view or a, a particular agenda, an issue or a theme, and placing that at the center of the purpose for making art or actually involving ourselves in the education process, as opposed to the teacher making this decision that I'm going to teach you how to draw a still life or I'm going to teach you how to draw an object. That, that is completely cut out of the equation unless the object means something. So it is about putting meaning before skill or before the object. 
So thank you for that. Listen, I have another question. So your piece, your contribution, and you talk about at the end of it, so I'll go towards the end. Um, you, you end your piece by saying we need a new generation of artist educators and a new generation of schools who dedicate their intentions and work to the urgencies of our time, such as sustainable development, social care and human right and human rights. That's a massive statement, but one, of course, I, you know, of course, I, I'm all over. I love it. Um, mm. So how do we get there? And what um, two questions? How do we get there? And secondly, what do you imagine the impact of that would be? Well, well I'll, I'll start with the second question, actually. And I just brought up a piece of text I wrote a few years ago. Um, and I'll, I'll read this to you. And it's really geared toward the, the, the work that I've been doing for a number of years in Northern Ireland and other parts of the world where there's been conflicts and, and um, division. And there's a start of my PhD actually, and, and, and I wrote this as the first line. It says, conflicts cannot be fought and won. We must learn, learn our way out of conflict. Otherwise we only suspend play until a latter date. Now, I strongly believe in that. I don't believe that any peace agreement or anything in the world which is written and, and endorsed by, by those people who probably caused the conflict in the first place, or governments or well-meaning people like the United Nations, et cetera, actually ends a conflict. I think we have to learn our way out of it. So the type of education that we're talking about is very different to the one that we know at the moment. And unfortunately, education uh, has been driven by these indicators and indicators which are very, very scientific or very uh, geared towards sort of the, the STEM subjects, as we say, in schools like this sort of science, the technologies, the English and the maths. And that's across the world. I've worked all over the world. And you see the same things in, in every, every place I've been in, been to. And the arts has always been pushed to the side. So the first thing that has to happen to make this change is we have to change the paradigm and we have to bring arts to the centre. The arts need to be the centre of all learning. And as the centre of all learning, those dollar subjects, such as the STEM subjects, revolve around them. Because at the very heart of our human existence is this desire to create. This desire, this desire and need to imagine something different. From our early days as a species, that's what got us. Some people would say to a bad place today, but that's certainly what's got us, the place where we are. I think human beings are wonderful. I think they're a fantastic species. I think we've done amazing things in and out of our world. We've also some, done some pretty destructive things. But I see the type of education which prevails as those things which lead to those destructive things. Um, and uh, just to give you a heads up on that, I mean, yesterday I was doing a talk with some of my students in EME and, and the first slide I showed them was an image of the Hitler Youth all standing in a row, looking in one direction with their arms in the air, making the, 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 the Nazi uh, salute. Hundreds and thousands, maybe thousands of young children standing in uniforms doing this. And the next slide I showed was a group of young, young children in a classroom in a school where they were making a drawing and they were all making the drawing at exactly the same point of time. So they were following the instructions of the teacher verbatim, word for word, basically, you know, controlling their thoughts, controlling their actions and controlling what they've seen as art. That's where we are and we've got a real problem with that. So to change, to change the paradigm, we need to not just think about putting art at the center, we have to think about the type of art we're putting at the center. And that's why I come back to this issues-based approach. So it's not just an art for art's sake, or it's not just an art in terms of the skill and the mastery of a particular technique. It's an art which allows us to master our ways of thinking about the world and our ways of thinking about ourselves and our relationship to that world and to the others. And for me, that, that requires a complete transformation 
of an education. But the, I can tell you this, Elaine, I talk forever about this. I spoke to a very interesting thinker on, on, on education a few years ago called Gert Vista. And I asked him, he's traveled the world, he's an older guy now. I said to him, Gert, what's the best education system in the world you've been in? Of course, I'm sitting expecting he's going to say somewhere in Scandinavia because they're all sort of liberal and do all these sort of fan fancy things like walk up mountains and learn things from looking at the stars. And he said, there is none. There is no good education system in the world. There's only great teachers. Mm. And that's why we have to focus our attention on teachers, on educators, educators and teachers. They're two different things, but they need to be two of the one thing. So that's why, you know, EMA, the, the program that I lead, the program that you teach on and coordinate our entire module in Northern Ireland on, is about not changing systems. It's about infecting systems mm -hmm. and infecting systems with ideas, radical ideas, not just about what we teach, but about how we teach, how we do it, the sort of pedagogy. So I think that, I think that the, um, we're wasting our energy if we think we're going to change systems. We're not. We're, not, we're wasting our energy if we, if we think we can find a, you know, the golden bullet. We won't. We won't. What we have to do is, is, is try and create cultures, subcultures within schools, like punk rock, for example. Fantastic subculture. I was a mod, so I hated them, but uh, punk, punk rockers were. But you can see how it really radicalized youth and thinking at that time and had an impact on fashion, on music, on visual arts, on theater, on amazing things. So that's really arts has its potentiality to, to enable change. And I think that it has to be a type of radicalization, a, a sort of radical form of pedagogy, of education, which needs to be at the heart of that. But we'll not do it with systems, Elaine. Yeah. We'll not do it with systems. Well, I, th I think with your, um, with EMA, the International Masters Artist Educator, um, your Artes University of the Arts is a partner yeah. of the Playhouse um, and the past four years, your students have come and spent time with us. And I think that's definitely one way to start looking at this, that we're, as you mentioned in your contribution, we are educating the next generation of artists and educating them to go and work in all around the world, dealing with all of the different issues that are challenging the world that we live in. John, as ever, thank you. Gorgeous to talk to you. Thank you for contributing to Fingerpost. Um, and thank you for joining us today. You're more than welcome. Thank, thank you. you. Well done, Elaine. Thank you. Really enjoyed those conversations. That was really, really good. Do you want to give us a wee flavour of who else is uh, and the, mm -hmm. the issue? Because obviously we couldn't have all the contributors on as part of this podcast. And you know me, I tried. <laughs> <laughs> I was giving everyone a little bit of prep. I'm only joking. Um, so we have Eileen Conant. So you heard from Felicity McCall there. Eileen Conant um, directed and devised first response at the Playhouse last year. Um, so she has contributed and she talks about her experience of working with war veterans. Um, we also have um, Georgia O'Kane, um, who I have not yet met, but a lovely young person who has proofread all of the contributions and has written a brilliant piece. Um, and I think she was selected by yourselves to voice young people's perspective. So really insightful, insightful piece of writing um we also have um yeah. sarah gravy how could i forget sarah um sarah gravy who again someone i've worked with for a long time and someone who just challenges my thinking and educates me and brings new things into my into my thinking so um again she talks about um propaganda so really really insightful um look at propaganda and art and its relationship to to the world um so 
I think that's all. Lotta then, is it? Lotta. Oh, Lotta. 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 So Lotta is a student of John's um, who just spoke to us a moment ago. Um, and Lotta, Lotta studied with John for a year in the International Master Artist Educator. And she has written, she's been doing fascinating work with children in refugee camps. So she writes about her experiences and just a really thoughtful, lovely Peace, very kind. So, thank you to all of my contributors. They've been they've been amazing, and um, I just I love the, the array and different different uh, journeys and visions that everyone comes to within the piece. Yeah, well, I would definitely echo all those things as well because I found them all find the, all the articles your your own included fascinating, um, and it was exactly what we were looking for for the piece. So, thanks to everybody, and thanks to you, Elaine, for pulling it together, especially today. Uh, it made a real. I've really enjoyed the session. Thank you, Jared. Thanks a million. So, just to remind everybody that this is the third in a series of six issues of Finger Post that we're going to do over the next few months. The next issue will be released, I think, in about three weeks' time. Um, so, this one's going to be live for three weeks, and then we have a, a youth issue that's been pulled together by the young people from Reach Across. So, we've all had to look forward to. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's enjoy this one whilst it's here. I just have to thank all the contributors, Elaine again, uh, Fiona for the production support for today, and of course the Community Relations Council who fund this project uh, through their Community Relations and Com Cultural Diversity Grant. So thanks to them. Um, thanks to all of you as well for coming along and, and watching our webinar. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. And we'll, be, we'll see you all next month. Cheers, folks. Thanks, Elaine. Thanks, bye.